Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John saw into heaven, and what he saw there is every bit as real as what you see here. And as it turns out, heaven isn't populated with angels that look like chubby children, nor does it consist simply of light and endless fields of clouds. No, heaven isn't as tame as we've been led to believe. What John saw was the throne of God, surrounded by 24 other thrones. And all around this throne of God were strange and majestic beings. Beings that truly exist this very moment. Each one almost impossible to describe. Some with two wings, some with six. Some with one face, some with four and some rather human-looking, while others not so much at all. And all of them together too numerous to count. Now picture yourself outside of that strange and wondrous heavenly circle. Then slowly you pass by these creatures, cautiously making your way through to the center of the circle, to the center of all things, what do you see? The throne of God, which itself is haloed, encircled in the full spectrum of colors, like some kind of otherworldly rainbow sphere. And before this throne, also at the center of all things, is a lamp of seven flames and a lamp with seven eyes and seven horns. The great lamp is what allows you to see the lamb. It signifies the sevenfold spirit, the Holy Spirit, which enlightens and reveals to us the lamb. When you look up at the seven flames of this lamp, you will also then see the seven eyes of the Lamb, for he is all-seeing, all-knowing, and upon his head are seven horns, for he is exalted and all-powerful. And upon the body of this Lamb are great wounds, and yet he stands, a Lamb who has died and risen. This lamb is the express icon and image, the representation of the unspeakable, unspeakably mysterious and unfathomable one who sits upon the throne. Show us the Father and it will be enough. Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It's hard to describe, but this throne is so great, it appears as if the lamp and the lamb and the one upon the throne are 
all upon the throne and in the midst of the throne, distinct and yet one. How come all the near-death experience books and trips to heaven and back never mention these things? The one guy who actually went there tells us what it's like. It's like the grandest, strangest throne room you can imagine. And yet it's also something quite like a church sanctuary. What we would call the right-hand and left-hand kingdoms are there simply one. Now, zooming all the way back out and seeing that strange and innumerable crowd of heavenly beings, what John also comes to see are people. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And that crowd of people, along with all the other majestic and exotic beings, angels, elders, immense living creatures, they all fall upon their faces before the throne, worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Their worship can only be described as reverent, even liturgical. There are robes, and there's bowing and singing. There are thrones and an altar. There is a lamp and incense. So what does this mean for us Lutherans as we say that in divine service, the divine one comes to serve us, that heaven comes down to earth, that we here on earth have become partakers of this heavenly worship, with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven. John sees people coming and joining in the heavenly worship. And that's when he gets asked a question. Who are these people? Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And John answers in the wisest possible way. He says, sir, you know. You tell me. And the elders said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And now we see why that all-knowing, seven-eyed Lamb, that all-powerful, seven-horned Lamb, who stands at the very center of heaven, is covered in wounds. He was wounded for our transgressions. And it is his blood and his blood alone that cleanses us from all our sins. The blood of that lamb is the very blood of God shed to cleanse us so that we may come into that great assembly and worship God without fear, holy and righteous in his sight. They have washed their robes, the elder says, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. To be baptized is to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. To be baptized is to be given that white robe of perfect righteousness that covers all our nakedness and shame. But let's go back for just a moment 
to one thing that that elder says, we've missed something important. These are the ones coming. Present tense, the elder says. One by one, they are coming into heaven. One by one, they are joining that multitude of beings around the throne. Now, all throughout the book of Revelation, this world in which we live is described as tribulation and great tribulation. From conception to death, from first breath to last, from learning to ride a bike to no longer being able to walk, from dust and back to dust again, this is not life. In the tongue of heaven, this is tribulation. To come out of tribulation, whether it be the standard kind of tribulation or the great kind of tribulation, to come out of tribulation is simply to die. Though the elder doesn't use this language, it's precisely what he means. These are the ones who have died in faith. One by one, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. One by one, they, have, they are entering into heaven. One by one, they are joining that great multitude that stands before the throne and before the Lamb. What comfort there is then in this. For we who have lost loved ones, who have died in the arms of Christ, father, mother, spouse, sibling, child, where are all those who die in the Lord? They are before the throne of God, the elder says. And he who sits on the throne shelters them with his presence. Nothing can harm them, for the lamb in the midst of the throne is their shepherd. And what then does that mean for death? What then is death? Well, our culture treats death as if it's a non-event. After all, if life is essentially meaningless, then death too is meaningless. And because death has no meaning, well, we might as well turn it into a celebration of life or whatever else we might choose. Even the church has been affected by this. Once upon a time, the death of a Christian was a whole congregation event, whereas now it's mostly a private family affair. In general, we treat Christian death as if very little at all were happening. But here again, the words of that heavenly elder, these are the ones who are coming. What then is death but the telos of our lives? It is the decisive moment. Christian death is to pass through a portal and find oneself in the very reality that John describes. Christian death is to find oneself in the midst of that strange and majestic crowd of beings gathered around the lamp, the lamb, and the one who sits upon the throne. In other words, there couldn't possibly be a bigger event than Christian death. 
So why do we modern Christians no longer live our lives in preparation for death? Why do we avoid talking about it? Why do we minimize it and its meaning? This is where we must hear the words of that elder and repent. Death isn't a non-event. It isn't to be ignored. Its meaning isn't to be minimized. Rather, we should see our whole lives as practicing and preparing for Christian death. After all, when we went into those baptismal waters, it was to practice death. It was to die and be buried with Christ and be raised with him to walk in newness of life. And now our daily lives as baptized people, each day is to practice death, to die to sin and rise to life with Christ. We practice death at the end of each and every day. When we say our prayers and close our eyes in sleep, trusting that God will wake us either in the morning or in heaven. We go to the altar, to the Lord's table, every Sunday, as if going to the Lamb and to the throne. But then again, not as if. Because the Lamb of God is truly here to cleanse us with his blood, pouring it out for us. Drink of it, he says. It's for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So death, then, is precisely the moment for which we Christians live. For though we die, yet shall we live. And as our Lord says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We pass through death alive and find ourselves quite alive. In fact, alive like never before as we too begin to experience all of heaven's joys and mysteries. And the greatest of all these, greatest by far, is simply this. We shall see God, and we shall know him who loved us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please rise for the offertory.